Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Welcome to They Walk Among Us, a podcast dedicated to UK true crime. This feature-length bonus episode is part two of a two-part case. Listener caution is advised, as this episode contains adult themes and descriptions that some listeners may find distressing. On March 24, 2011, Christopher Halliwell was arrested in connection with the suspected kidnapping of Sean O'Callaghan. Halliwell subsequently admitted to the murder, leading police to not only Sean's body, but the remains of another victim. After DNA testing, police identified the woman to be Swindon native Rebecca Gordon Edwards. During October 2012, Halliwell was sentenced to a minimum of 25 years for Sean's murder. But a judge ruled that evidence gathered during the day of Halliwell's arrest was inadmissible. He couldn't be charged for the killing of Rebecca Godden Edwards, despite him leading police to her remains. But why? A Confession, Part 2 Questions were asked about how a murder charge was dropped against Christopher Halliwell if he took the police, more specifically Detective Superintendent Stephen Fulcher, to Becky Gordon Edwards' remains. During the hearings for Halliwell's second murder charge in 2012, The legal arguments between Halliwell's defence and the Crown centred on the way in which Fulcher had extracted a confession from Halliwell. Reporting restrictions remained in place, so this information could not be published by the media. At the hearings, Judge Mrs Justice Cox heard arguments from both Richard Latham QC and Crown Prosecutor Ian Laurie QC. It was ruled that due to the way Halliwell's confession was extracted concerning Becky Godden Edwards' murder, evidence would not be admissible at trial. As the prosecution had no other forensic clues linking Halliwell to the crime, the prospect of conviction was minimal. Richard Latham QC had argued that as his client had led police to the bodies, it would have been engraved on the consciousness of the average juror. Also, as Fulcher had released the information regarding the arrest and admission into the public domain through a press conference, along with the fact that Halliwell had been seen burning something, it could have influenced the jury's decision. Regarding the way in which the confession was obtained, 
Latham claimed that the rules set out in the Pace Act were a fundamental right and the detective had behaved in a way that echoed the 70s style of policing. The Police and Criminal Evidence Act 1984 was implemented to help protect the rights of suspects while being questioned by police, principally those who are vulnerable or easily influenced. It also specifically tells them they have the right to remain silent. The acorn from which the act grew followed the treatment of the black community in the aftermath of the Brixton riots in 1981. There was considerable evidence that police had abused their position of power, indiscriminately targeting black people with stop and search and mass detention. So after a review, namely the Scarman Report, the Pace Act was born to balance the rights of individuals against the actions of the police. Justice Cox concluded the confession breached two sections of the Pace Act, saying, quote, In the exercise of my discretion under Section 78, admission of the evidence relating to the confession concerning Miss Gordon Edwards and the location of her body and the circumstances in which they arose would have such an adverse effect on the fairness of these proceedings that they ought not to be admitted. When Halliwell was first arrested at 11.05am on March 24, 2011, he was not taken straight to Gable Cross Police Station. The arresting officer PC Hine had approached Halliwell's vehicle from the rear and the engine was still running. The approach that PC Hine would take was labelled as robust by the judge. Halliwell was grabbed in an armlock, thrown to the ground and handcuffed before he was told he was being arrested on suspicion of kidnapping Sean O'Callaghan. Halliwell appeared calm, asking for his tobacco which was in his taxi, a request that was ultimately refused. Fulcher had hoped that Sean O'Callaghan might still be alive, so ordered his detectives to conduct an urgent interview in their police car, invoking Pace Code Clause C.11.1. This enables the police in prescribed circumstances to conduct an urgent or instant interview when the suspect cannot await transport to a police station or await the attendance of a solicitor on arrival at the police station if that would lead to unreasonable delay. This is permitted and often used during terrorism investigations when there is an immediate risk to life. This occurred at 11.50am but Halliwell refused to cooperate, saying... I don't know where she is. I don't think I should say any more without speaking to a solicitor. In spite of his fellow officers warning Fulcher that it was not a good idea, as the period for Halliwell's urgent questioning had essentially expired, he asked that his officers take Halliwell in an unmarked police car to avoid media attention to an isolated hilltop at Barbary Castle. Arriving at 12.11pm, The detective believed Halliwell might have used this area in the commission of the crime as he had driven near the location while under surveillance. Believing that Sean might very well be alive, Fulcher thought that through this immediate questioning he might be able to save Sean's life. Also and less importantly, as the men had never met, Fulcher wanted a one-on-one discussion and to simply look Halliwell in the eye when he provided his responses. After a nine-minute conversation in which Fulcher persuaded his suspect to reveal the details of his crimes, 
Palo well led officers to Sean O'Callaghan's body, located in a spot 16 miles northwest in a field near Uffington. While Halliwell could not find the exact spot, markers were placed in the ground. As their conversation progressed, and Fulcher told Halliwell that he would be handing him over to another officer to charge him with the murder, Halliwell told the detective, quote, You and I should have a chat. He asked Fulcher if he wanted, quote, another one. Halliwell spoke of a second location and directed officers throughout the 45-minute drive. A police convoy, followed overhead by a helicopter, arrived at a 40-acre field in Gloucestershire. Halliwell recognised the area when he noticed a dip in a low stone wall that bordered the road. Officers watched on as Halliwell slowly walked to a spot pointing out where he thought a body was buried. Becky Godden Edwards' remains would be found only a short distance away from where Halliwell said they would be. At 2.43pm, after providing details of the second site, Halliwell was taken to the police station and at that point he was read his rights. Fulcher was worried if he interrupted Halliwell to read him his rights and take him to the station, Halliwell would have clammed up. Fulcher would later describe the conversation as taking place on a knife edge. Detective Superintendent Fulcher had taken the stand during the pre-trial hearings and faced some difficult questions. Richard Latham QC accused Fulcher of good old-fashioned threatening conduct before asking, The judgment was that Sean's life was more important than Pace. Fulcher bluntly replied, Yes. Deborah Peach, a civilian police worker, documented the conversation between Halliwell and Fulcher just before the suspect directed officers to the location of Sean's body. The notes taken read in part, Halliwell, I want to go to the station. Fulcher, are you prepared to tell me where Sean is? Halliwell, you think I did it? Fulcher, I know you did it. Halliwell, can I go to the station? Fulcher, you can go to the station. What will happen is that you will be vilified. If you tell me where Sean is, you would have done the right thing. Halliwell, I want to speak to a solicitor. Fulcher, you are being given an opportunity to tell me where Sean is. In one hour's time, you will be in the press. Halliwell, I want to speak to a solicitor. Fulcher, you will speak to a solicitor. I'm giving you the opportunity to tell me where Sean is. By the end of this cycle, you will be vilified. Tell me where Sean is. Halliwell, Have you got a car? We'll go. In Mrs Justice Cox's sentencing remarks, she commented on the press conference Fulcher gave in which he informed the public that an arrest had been made, along with details of the discovery of Sean's body and Halliwell's admission that he killed Becky. Fulcher believed his interactions with the media were sanctioned by the Gold Group, a collection of individuals from the force, members of the independent advisory group and a member of the police authority. 
It was established to provide support, oversight of the investigation, and consult with the allocation of sufficient resources, along with governing communication with the media. Fulcher was of the view that the public had a right to know what happened, and he was correcting some inaccurate reporting. Also, he assumed that after Halliwell was cautioned, the suspect would talk to the interviewing officers and tell them what he had earlier told him, which is why the day's events were recounted at the press conference. Summarising Fulcher's behaviour in not cautioning the suspect and denying him a right to a lawyer, Mrs Justice Cox said, quote, Detective Superintendent Fulcher adopted an approach which I consider was deliberately designed to ensure that the protections to which this defendant was entitled under the codes was not afforded to him. His decision not to caution the defendant was a deliberate one, precisely because the defendant might have done what he would be told he could do. Stay silent. Following Halliwell's sentencing, Sean's father, Mick O'Callaghan, and Becky's mother, Karen Edwards, addressed reporters. Uh, it's been a, a very emotional day. Um, sorry. Um, as Elaine said, we've lost a beautiful girl in a most distressing way. However, justice has been done today. It's been an arduous journey, what we've got there. And justice, obviously, for Sean. After a very complicated and painful journey, over the last 18 months, Sean's family have today had the justice for the murder of their beautiful daughter. However, our family's fight for justice for Becky has only just begun. And I would like to thank everyone for their continued support in striving for justice for Becky. I won't be answering any questions and there will be no further comments at this time. But I would like to say I would like the full support of you all to help me get justice for my daughter Becky. Thank you. Detective Superintendent Sean Memory, who was now leading the investigation, thanked Becky's family for the way in which they behaved throughout, along with his team, for the work they did. Today's verdict is absolute justification for the work that we've undertaken on this investigation. I firstly want to pay tribute to the investigation team and to my colleagues at CPS, Ian, Amanda, Kate and the prosecution barristers Nick and Mike who have worked tirelessly over the last few year, uh, months and years to make sure we got this result today. But most importantly I want to say thank you to Becky's family, to Karen, to John and to uh, Sean's family Elaine for the dignity they've shown throughout this difficult process. Uh, it's been a harrowing few years for them whilst justice has been served and as you heard today uh, Christopher Halliwell has been found guilty and deservedly so. Head of Protective Services at Wiltshire Police, Detective Chief Superintendent Keir Pritchard said, Whilst Halliwell's admission of guilt today may go some way to help the family grieve, it will not bring Sean back, who was needlessly and tragically taken from them. Chris Halliwell today has been convicted for the murder of Sean O'Callaghan. Um, words can only describe him as a despicable man.
he used his position as a taxi driver in Swindon to coax a lone vulnerable female into his taxi. Um, that victim happened to be Sean O'Callaghan on this evening. This was premeditated. There was one intention in his mind only, and that was to take her out of Swindon into the rural parts of Wiltshire, which is exactly what he did. He took her to Savernack Forest, where he brutally attacked her, sexually assaulted her and violently murdered her. He showed no remorse at all for this offence. Addressing the fact that a prosecution was not possible for Becky Godden Edwards' murder, DCS Pritchard said, Forensic science goes a long way, but we are dealing with a lady that was killed at least seven years ago. Had there been any forensic evidence that linked Mr Halliwell to Becky, we would have used that already. We never know what advances there might be in forensic science. Chief Crown Prosecutor for Wessex Nick Hawkins was asked about the lack of a conviction regarding Becky Godden-Edwards. We have to operate within the law of the land as it stands and we have to respect rulings of the court and we brought what we thought was legally admissible evidence uh, of a second murder before a court. That evidence was challenged before Mr Halliwell was even asked to enter a plea and the judges made a ruling that we can't use that evidence so, and we have to obviously abide by that ruling and live with the consequences. Laws are there for a reason. And we have to... Detective Superintendent Stephen Fulcher was interviewed and spoke about the conversation he had with Halliwell. It was a very tense moment. It was a moment where success or failure hung on the relationship, at that moment in time, between myself and Halliwell. Any intervention at that time could have broken that momentary bond, and he could have changed his mind and taken another course of action. I took the opportunity of, of his um, uh, relationship with me and the, and the fact that he was um, prepared to give me this key piece of evidence, and we drove at that point in time to a location um, and he was able to pace out an exact spot where he said he had buried um, a, a young girl. In all the time that Becky was missing, her family thought she was alive, possibly with a family. Her cousin, Laura Mullane, believed she had made a new life for herself somewhere else. Um, I thought she, had, she was living a life, uh, life with someone else. Maybe she had a family or something. Um, we was always talking about it. We was expecting her to come back. We was preparing ourselves for her to look a lot different because obviously she would have been a lot older than when we last seen her. Um, and we thought maybe she'd turn up with a child or something. We didn't know. Karen Edwards vowed that she would fight to get justice for her daughter and said there was no ill will towards the police. Quote, I have nothing but admiration for Steve Fulcher and I feel the law should be a bit more flexible to protect victims. If he had not acted in the way he did, we would have never have known Becky was gone and I would always have the false hope, the paranoia, knowing is better than that. Halliwell has destroyed so many lives and families, not just ours and Sean's family, but his as well. His children are going to have to live with the fact he murdered young girls. I've got both boxing gloves on now, and this is where the fight for Becky begins. 
Within days of his conviction, Halliwell's daughter Natasha went on national television pleading to her father to do the right thing and tell the truth. From the ITV morning show Daybreak, Natasha Halliwell explained that she had received correspondence from her father that suggested she change her name. Natasha asked why he committed the crime. Halliwell told her not to ask, as he did not know. As Halliwell's daughter was speaking with ITV, Becky's father John Godden was angry at the mistakes the police had made. They've made massive mistakes here, massive mistakes. It's not right and it's not fair. I mean, this is the law. This is the people running the country. It seems to me, come to Swindon, commit a murder, you'll get away with it. And that's why I, that's why I fell. I've, you know, I mean, I'll never put my trust in the police again. You know, I mean, I, I got you know, go go to my grave not not knowing, you know, who actually killed Rebecca Godden. And I'll never forgive him for it. Never, never. The media had also been in contact with the Wiltshire Police regarding the investigation by the Independent Police Complaints Commission, and they confirmed that separate to the allegations of inappropriate contact with the media, there had also been three complaints to the police watchdog about Operation Mayan, which had all been upheld, though none were related to DS Fulcher's actions. It was also revealed that Becky's family were aware that their daughter's murder had been removed from the charge sheet months before Halliwell's guilty plea for Sean O'Callaghan's murder. Karen Edwards had been unable to discuss the matter due to restrictions placed on the case by Justice Cox. As there had been only the confession evidence, which was now inadmissible, the charge had to be withdrawn. Along with the plea from Natasha Halliwell asking her father to admit to what he had done, Karen Edwards also wrote to Halliwell in jail, asking that he confess. Part of the letter read, My every waking moment is filled with the horrific thought of her terrifying, frightening moments as she suffered her death at your hands. The nightmare never ends. Please could you find it in your heart as a father to tell us the truth about my beautiful girl? I'm begging you, please admit Becky's murder. At the time of Sean O'Callaghan's murder, Christopher Halliwell was living on Ashbury Avenue in Swindon with Heather Widowson. She was under the impression that during his long hours driving a taxi, he had been working towards building a future for them both. They had met in 2003 living on the same street and moving in together a few years later, after Halliwell left his wife. They had what appeared to be a happy, loving relationship, apart from some occasional financial troubles. Halliwell had got himself into debt, and Heather had helped him out. She described him as calm, controlled, but showed little if no emotion. Halliwell, born in Swindon, was raised in Scotland, though would eventually return to Wiltshire. He enjoyed fishing and amassed a knowledge of the waterways and countryside around him. Halliwell was married in the mid-90s to his first wife Lisa Byrne when he was 23. She was seven years his junior. The couple had three children together, although when his third child was born, he started using sex workers. Halliwell would tell police in an interview, quote, It was a sensible escape, 
rather than getting into an affair. He split from his wife, moving in with Heather, who was a neighbour. Coincidentally, this was the year it was being alleged by police that he killed Becky Godden Edwards. He was approaching his 40th birthday, which is somewhat strange, as it is incredibly rare for men to begin killing at this period in their lives, certainly those who commit multiple murders. Halliwell's ex-wife handed police his work diaries, and detectives were able to use this to plot his activities between 2000 to 2005, though 2001 was missing. Halliwell did not forge a career in any particular discipline, working as a window cleaner, construction worker and a taxi driver. He ran a private chauffeur business, but in 2010 was declared bankrupt. He turned to private hire cab work and had been with Five Star, a taxi company, only a couple of weeks when he spotted Sean O'Callaghan on the street in March 2011. Halliwell even put up a poster in his taxi appealing for more information about Sean's disappearance, which at the time mentioned a £20,000 reward. While Halliwell did not speak much about his past, he once told his then-partner Heather that he had done, quote, horrendous things. The burglar and car thief had spent time in Dartmoor Prison. Halliwell's job as a nighttime taxi driver afforded him the ability to familiarise himself with Swindon and the wider Wiltshire area. He was also in a position to transport vulnerable young women. Some had consumed large amounts of alcohol and had put their trust in Halliwell to get them home. Both Sean and Becky shared similar characteristics, slim and young. While Halliwell's actions against his victims were ruthless, it was reported that there were never any instances of domestic violence with his partners. Heather Widowson was even with Halliwell six weeks before those fateful early morning hours, when, while out shopping, he purchased a kitchen knife. Police believed he used this very knife to kill Sean O'Callaghan. One hour before he had abducted and murdered Sean, he sent a text message to his partner saying, I love you. While Halliwell was not an early riser on weekends, he was up and about that same morning telling his partner he was going to the car wash. The next week, as police began to focus on Halliwell, they needed his DNA, so came up with a cover story that they were asking all taxi drivers in the area to submit a sample. When officers arrived at his home, Heather watched on as the man she loved seemed relaxed, calmly responding to questions. It wasn't until they took out the mouth swab that he looked worried. They asked Halliwell about his whereabouts in the early morning hours when Sean had gone missing, fully aware of his movements that they'd captured through CCTV and ANPR cameras. He lied. While under 24-hour surveillance, Halliwell had been spotted purchasing a large amount of paracetamol and sleeping pills, enough that it prompted police to make an arrest. Although police had Halliwell in their sights, they did not arrest him straight away, believing that he might lead them to Sean. Fulcher had even released a cryptic press release saying he was very close to identifying Sean's whereabouts, which he hoped would prompt Halliwell into action. The next day, police again arrived at the home the couple shared on Ashbury Avenue to tell Heather her partner had been arrested in connection with a murder. Police began searching the property, 
and after four months they let Heather return there. The windows were smashed and she would often find people staring in, wondering what the inside of a killer's home looked like. Although there was an air of animosity towards police for how they handled the investigation, there also seemed to be a lot of questions surrounding Pace or the Police and Criminal Evidence Act. Was it time for reform? The act was created almost 30 years earlier, and many wondered if it needed to move with the times. Chairman of the Commons Home Affairs Select Committee at the time, Keith Vaz, said, We should never be in a position where regulations prevent people being brought to justice. This sentiment was echoed by Robert Buckland, who was an MP for Swindon South, and coincidentally a criminal barrister. In the House of Commons he said, I'm not going to comment on the conduct of the individual officer. He is a senior officer. There is an independent police complaints commission inquiry into his conduct. But putting myself into his shoes for a moment, putting aside my legal hat having been a criminal barrister for 20 years, I can entirely understand that in the heat of the moment, when it was still thought that Sean O'Callaghan may still be alive, that that officer thought he was acting in the best interests of the safety of Sean, and in the interests of finding out more from Halliwell. Not wanting to sit idly by, a month after the public heard the news that Christopher Halliwell could not be prosecuted for the murder of Becky Godden Edwards, her mother Karen started an online petition on the government's website titled Justice for Becky. The petition sought to change how police gather evidence, along with reform in police procedure. It asked that a review be undertaken on the Police and Criminal Evidence Act, so it becomes more flexible, protecting victims and preventing injustices. The petition read, Evidence of a confession by Halliwell to Becky's murder was ruled inadmissible by the court on the basis of serious breaches of Code C by a senior investigating police officer. Therefore, the court could not be satisfied the confession had not been obtained by oppression, section 76-2A, and that to admit the evidence would be unfair pursuant to section 78 of PACE. Consequently, this terrible crime remains unsolved. We call on the government for an urgent review of the operation of Code C, to ensure injustices such as this do not happen again. The petition would need 10,000 signatures for a Home Office response and 100,000 before it would be considered for debate by members of Parliament. Soon after its publication, David Cameron, Prime Minister at the time, pledged he would look into the case. During PM's questions, MP for Swindon South Robert Buckland asked, The person responsible for the murder of Becky Godden Edwards, whose mother is my constituent, has not been brought to justice because of evidence excluded as part of the court process. Would my right honourable friend join my cause for a review of Code C of the Police and Criminal Evidence Act so that terrible situations like this cannot happen in future? The PM replied, I will look very carefully at what my right honourable friend has raised, the specific case he mentions and also the issue of the PACE Act. It is always important that all information that possibly can be put in front of the court is put in front of the court so it can reach the correct decision. 
as Karen Edwards was petitioning for changes to the PACE Act. Chief Crown Prosecutor Nick Hawkins confirmed that CPS Wessex had referred Halliwell's 25-year sentence to the Attorney General, Dominic Grieve, under the unduly lenient sentence scheme. At the time of sentencing, Ian Laurie QC acting on behalf of the Crown questioned the minimum term due to the aggravating factors of the case. These included the use of a knife and the possibility of sexual motivation as some of Sean O'Callaghan's clothes had been cut off and removed. In spite of Halliwell's guilty plea, which was factored in and reduced his sentence, Nick Hawkins suggested that given the aggravating factors, the sentence should have been 30 years. Under the unduly lenient sentence scheme, any member of the public can make a request for the Attorney General to look at a sentence if they feel it is too low, and if they agree, the Attorney General must refer the application within 28 days of the sentence being passed. There are exceptions as the offence can only include murder, rape, robbery, some child sex crimes and child cruelty, some serious fraud, some serious drug crimes, and crimes committed because of the victim's race or religion. The application to the Attorney General was then referred to the Court of Appeal, who would decide whether Christopher Halliwell's sentence was unduly lenient. A few weeks later, it was confirmed that the sentence would remain unchanged, when three appeal court judges ruled that when deciding on a minimum term, Mrs Justice Cox had been, quote, entitled to reach her ruling. They could see nothing amiss with the decision. As Karen Edwards and her partner Charlie began to pick up the pieces left in the wake of what had happened, the pair were startled awake in the early hours of Thursday, November 22nd. An alarm had been triggered at Charlie's business, an arcade on Gorse Hill. Thieves forced their way in, smashing several ATMs, fruit machines and change machines before fleeing with an undisclosed, albeit considerable amount of cash. Karen told the Swindon advertiser, at the end we can put the arcade back together. The damage was worse than the money they took. The whole place was ransacked and they just smashed the machines. Still grieving the loss of her daughter, Karen went on to say, We are all exhausted from what's been going on in court. The alarm went off at 2am and my husband Charlie had to go down there. And it's just not what we needed. At the start of 2013, and three months after Halliwell's confession and Stephen Fulcher's suspension, Karen Edwards, dedicated to finding justice for her daughter, continued to appeal to the public for signatures in her petition for a review of Pace. Within three months, she had managed to obtain over a thousand signatures online, so resorted to asking in person with a paper and pen. Fully aware that not everyone had online access, she attended charity events, hoping to gather as many signatures as she could. 
she refused to let the momentum of the case come to a standstill and was soon in front of the Minister for Policing and Criminal Justice. She lobbied for changes to the PACE Act and along with MP Robert Buckland, they were asked for feedback on how they thought the Act could be improved. Before the meeting, the MP for Swindon South spoke of the potential options that police had at their disposal. Quote, I think we need to explore how the law can be updated and how technologies out there can help. For example, to capture and record events as they happen. There is equipment and technology we need to harness to help modern policing and my view is this is about the interest of swift and thorough police investigation. Karen Edwards also stated, With the online petition stalling and the dust settling, it felt like everything was at a standstill. But now things are moving again. We are not giving up. Her petition would be seen far and wide, with pop musician Ed Sheeran sharing it over social media and crime writer Ian Rankin telling a BBC Radio 4 programme that Fulcher's actions would have been the sort of behaviour he would expect from one of his most famous fictional characters, Inspector Rebus. He said, He would think about getting justice and getting closure first, and following the rules later on. Shocked at the admission by Rankin, Karen said, I couldn't believe it when I heard it. It was amazing. I've read some of his books, and for him to mention Becky's case on national radio is great. Without Steve Fulcher, I would still believe my daughter was alive and out there somewhere. Just over a year after Becky's family were informed their daughter's remains had been found in a shallow grave, an inquest was held into her death. While Darren Salter, coroner for Oxfordshire, could not confirm the exact medical reason for Becky's death, ruling it unascertained, he did say it was unnatural and violent, committed by the unlawful act of a third party. Due to the condition of the body, it made analysis extremely difficult. Only partial remains were discovered. The arms, skull and feet were absent. Halliwell's name was barely mentioned with the coroner saying, specifically in relation to this case there is a police investigation into the death of Becky and it is still ongoing and it is not concluded. I'm not going to prejudice any future criminal prosecution by naming in this court any suspect previously connected to the case. In a makeshift grave, Becky's remains had been buried sometime between late 2002 to early 2003. Karen Edwards appealed to Halliwell through the press saying, she's my daughter and I'm not going to give up until I get that conviction. I won't rest. And I'd also like to appeal to Christopher Halliwell. This is your chance now. Come clean, please. Only a few days after the inquest, it was revealed that Stephen Fulcher, the detective superintendent who had led the inquiry and tracked down Halliwell, was returning to the force. Although he was still under investigation by the IPCC and was no longer part of Operation Mayan, 
Karen Edwards was over the moon. When asked for comment, she said, I am elated. That man, what we have been through, he has been through. He put his job on the line to get the result. That was a spur of the moment, gut instinct decision from him. Had he not done what he did, we would have gone on thinking Becky was fine in Bristol. I've got my daughter back, and I am pleased he has got his job back. Congratulations, Steve. I'm really pleased. As autumn 2013 approached, there seemed to be little news on the investigation into the death of Becky Godden Edwards. However, there was plenty on the man who had managed to obtain a confession, albeit one that could not be used in court. On September 9th, the Independent Police Complaints Commission ruled that Stephen Fulcher had a case to answer for gross misconduct. This included breaches in the PACE Act and for ignoring the force's orders. Of the three matters the IPCC looked into, the first complaint was raised by John Gordon, Becky's father, regarding the actions of Fulcher, which ultimately led to the charge against Halliwell being dropped. Halliwell was taken to Barbary Castle instead of a police station. He was not cautioned and did not initially have access to a solicitor. The two other matters related to correspondence Fulcher had with the media. The first addressed specific meetings with two journalists, Steve Brody and Rob Murphy, which it was alleged that Fulcher was instructed to avoid. And the second described Fulcher's conduct as reckless, following on from a number of press interviews he had undertaken, as he did not follow the guidelines set out by the Gold Group. The trial judge had voiced her concern about the interactions that had already taken place with reporters, as these might have been prejudicial to the case. Fulcher had tried to defend his actions in the hearing, saying, On the one hand, I was cognizant of Mr Halliwell's rights, but my primary duty was to save Sean's life. My view was that there was an equation to balance between Mr Halliwell's right to silence and Sean O'Callaghan's right to life. My view was that Sean's right to life took a prior claim. But the IPCC report described the detective's actions as, quote, catastrophic, particularly on the prosecution of Mr Halliwell for the murder of Rebecca. The report read, D.S. Fulcher stated had he not proceeded as he did, Rebecca's remains may never have been found. However, it is not possible to determine what may or may not have happened if Mr Halliwell had been immediately conveyed to custody. D.S. Fulcher's decision was not spur of the moment. He was able to make a policy entry justifying his decision to meet Mr Halliwell. There is no doubt that the events which followed were extraordinary from a point of view of D.S. Fulcher. However, the uniqueness of the situation must be balanced with the fact he is a senior officer of some years' experience. The Police and Criminal Evidence Act 1984 and its codes of practice are not optional. They are a fundamental part of the criminal justice process and exist to ensure the rights of suspects, and therefore the integrity of the whole process, are protected. Rachel Serfentine, IPCC Deputy Chair at the time, described the case as highly unusual and went on to say, we will never know what may have happened if the PACE codes had been followed. However, Detective Superintendent Fulcher's actions were in deliberate breach of pace, 
we find he has a case to answer for gross misconduct. Wiltshire police would have to ultimately decide if gross misconduct took place and what punitive action was necessary. The majority of the public seemed to remain firmly behind the detective's actions. It begged the question, if Fulcher had taken Halliwell to a police station, instead of questioning him in the hope Sean was alive, would he have confessed, not only to the murder of Sean O'Callaghan, but taken officers to the location where Becky Godden Edwards was buried? It was decided by Wiltshire Police that to ensure a fair outcome, Fulcher would face an independent conduct hearing from senior officers in other constabularies. John Godden Becky's father was pleased that Fulcher was likely facing disciplinary action, saying it should never have come to this. On the other side of the fence, Karen Edwards had sent a letter to the chief constable asking that Fulcher not be dismissed insisting that the disciplinary action the detective was facing was, quote, simply not fair. Halliwell got out of the police car and he paced out so many steps, a dip in the wall, he climbed over the wall and he paced out again and within a metre they found human remains. And those human remains were my daughter's. So if Steve Fulcher hadn't have acted the way he did... I'd have never known about Becky. I'd have still been going through my life thinking that she just didn't want to come home. During the start of 2014, Fulcher would soon learn his fate with the Wiltshire Police Force after a week-long hearing began behind closed doors. The panel was made up from a chief constable and chief superintendent from outside the Wiltshire Constabulary and an independent member of the public. They would be reviewing the evidence against Fulcher and deciding what action should ultimately be taken. On January 23rd, they reported their findings. The conduct panel, chaired by a chief constable from another force and made up of independent members, were tasked with deciding whether or not Detective Superintendent Fulcher committed three counts of gross misconduct. Two related to the execution of his duties on the Sean O'Callaghan and Becky Godden Edwards, also known as Rebecca Godden case, in March 2011, and one was in relation to inappropriate contact with the media some 12 months later. Over the last three and a half days, the panel has examined all of the evidence presented to them, including hearing from a number of witnesses. It was their finding that Detective Superintendent Fulcher's actions amounted to gross misconduct in relation to two of the breaches, inappropriate contact with the media and the treatment of Christopher Halliwell in relation to Pace. One of the breaches was withdrawn. The two breaches upheld related to the following standards of professional behaviour, duties and responsibilities, orders and instructions, discreditable conduct. The panel have ruled that the appropriate sanction for Detective Superintendent Fulcher is to be issued with a final written warning for each breach. Clearly this case has been very emotive and has attracted a high level of public interest due to the tragic circumstances surrounding it. Detective Superintendent Stephen Fulcher was found guilty on two counts of gross misconduct, but he would be keeping his job. A third charge for inappropriate contact with the media 
relating to the guidance he had been given by the Gold Group, was subsequently dropped. A statement released on his behalf read, Detective Superintendent Steve Fulcher acknowledges and accepts the findings of the panel and is grateful for the thorough consideration given to the facts of the case. Steve Fulcher wishes to express his thanks to those who have supported him throughout this very sad case. At all times, Steve Fulcher has been motivated by a desire to serve the public and do the best that he can for the victims, their families and for Wiltshire Police. He is grateful for the support he has received from many people and in particular humbled by the support he has received from Becky's mother Karen Edwards and Sean's partner Kevin Reap when they have suffered such a tragic loss. Steve Fulcher is a dedicated police officer and is fully committed to Wiltshire Police. He wishes to return to work as soon as possible to continue serving the public and to move forward from this upsetting and stressful episode in his life and that of his family. Karen Edwards was thrilled by the news and thanked the Wiltshire police for allowing her to attend the hearing. Um, no matter what would have happened, if, if the outcome had have been that he had lost his job, my, my feelings towards Steve Fulcher would not have changed at all. I've got high regard for the man. I respect him 101%. How can you not respect a man that brought your daughter home um, when the law says different? The law said he should have left her out there. Well, again, if it had been somebody else, it may have been a different shout, but it wasn't. And Sean was able to be put to rest and Becky was able to be put to rest. And all of that is thanks to Steve Fulcher. John Godden, Becky's father, also spoke with the media. Nobody's above the law. A man of 30 years' experience does not make that many mistakes. John Godden also issued a statement through Facebook that said he felt failed, and the independent police panel's outcome betrayed his daughter. Quote, I am really at my lowest now. The police are a law unto themselves. I stand tall and proud in the knowledge of trying to get the truth out there. But we have been failed by the IPCC, the CPS and the police right up to the corrupt British government. Just over three years to the day since Becky Godden Edwards' remains were found, police were again at Eastleach. Although the entrance to the field was heavily guarded, onlookers could see the teams of specialist officers as one group would turn over the earth before another carried out a fingertip search through the soil. It was unclear what had spurred police to revisit the site, but during the investigation, they found new evidence a bone believed to be human was discovered. While details were sparse, was it possible this might be something that could link a suspect to the crime? The following month, during May 2014, Sean Memory, a detective who was now leading the investigation, confirmed after DNA testing 
that the bone discovered on April 10th belonged to Becky Godden Edwards. Soon after the discovery, Detective Superintendent Stephen Fulcher resigned from the Wiltshire Police Force. He had been able to keep his job, but after being found guilty of gross misconduct, his decision to continue to question Halliwell and get to the truth had not only cost him his reputation, but now it had cost him his career. A spokesman from the Police Superintendents Association of England and Wales said, Fulcher was a dedicated police officer who had a lot to offer the police service. Karen Edwards, who had sat in on the legal arguments during the pre-trial hearings of 2012, described Fulcher as a broken man. He was shattered, she said. I just wanted to give him a huge hug. She would later say, I feel that this is going to be such a waste from such a wonderful, experienced detective. He is and always will be my hero, and I will always be eternally grateful. I have such admiration for him. I have said it many times before, if he had stuck to pace rules that neither my daughter Becky or Sean would have been found. John Gordon Becky's father had little sympathy for Fulcher's position, and was not surprised by the detective's decision to resign. The man was in the wrong, and he perverted the course of justice. John Godden said. He cut me out of the investigation. It's all in there in the Independent Police Complaints Commission report. I wasn't told about the press conference or that Becky's body had been released for burial. I cannot explain my feelings. I'm not gloating about him resigning, but he was a law unto himself, and I will never forgive Wiltshire Police. With Halliwell no longer talking, police had to refocus their efforts on the potential burial sites he might have used. This brought them to a section of woodland and a large pond in Hilldrop Lane in the village of Ramsbury near Marlborough, around 12 miles southeast of Swindon. In the water, they found a single barrel shotgun, along with a pair of boots. Over several days searching, which included the use of cadaver dogs, Officers at first found Sean's left boot and then the right. She was believed to be wearing them when she was murdered. The discovery of the brown new-look footwear was significant, but police had still been unable to locate Sean's mobile phone, jewellery and handbag. Police also never found the murder weapon. Detective Sean Memory was interviewed and spoke about why the investigation focused on that area in Hilldrop Lane. I've been reviewing the investigation uh, and as part of that investigation I wanted to look at some area of water around the Ramsbury area. Uh, Wednesday I came and did a scoping exercise and we came across this location and we could see visibly what appeared to be a boot in there which we recovered uh, and I've identified as Sean's. When pressed on the investigation into Becky Godden Edwards' murder and whether he had spoken to Halliwell, memory confirmed he had not. Quote, He remains a suspect. There could be others involved, 
so I am keeping an open mind about the circumstances. Memory also postulated that it was possible there might be more victims. With the discovery of the shotgun and Shan's footwear, police were slowly winding down search efforts. They were in the process of cross-referencing the serial number on the weapon with any registered gun owners, and a specialist dive team were concluding their activities. It was decided as one last push they would drain the water in the pond to see if anything might have been otherwise lost to its murky waters. Just as it seemed to be the end of the search at Hilldrop Lane, officers noticed a small piece of cloth peeking out from underneath the dirt around 100 metres from the pond. As they pulled out the blue lady's jumper, they noticed a large mass of clothing that appeared to have been buried a few inches beneath the surface. While they could be a perfectly innocent if somewhat strange explanation, officers were treating the discovery with some caution as most of Shan's clothing had now been retrieved. The landowner was unaware of anyone fly-tipping, though it was a possibility. The items were gathered up and sent for forensic testing. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact? You can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Four months later, police would reveal that along with 60 pieces of clothing, some of which belonged to Sean O'Callaghan and Becky Godden-Edwards, they had recovered a further 600 items of evidence, which included beer bottles and another firearm. Police were aware that not all of the evidence found would be tied to severe illegal activity, most likely just fly-tipping. However, they wanted to rule anything and everything out. In addition, they believed that they may have tracked down the car used in Becky Godden-Edwards' abduction. A silver-coloured Volvo S80, registration T661LGP, had been used in the crime. Although detectives were unable to track down the vehicle after it was sold at an ASM auction in Oxfordshire during June 2004, the DVLA had no record of the car being registered after that point. The vehicle might have been purchased by an Irish male who also bought several cars during the auction. Detective memory leading the investigation said, It may well have been scrapped or taken overseas. I want to determine what has happened to it, as it may be sitting in a family field somewhere not being used. Until we have more information, I am very open-minded. I am really appealing for the person who bought it because they can start the chain to trace where it went. They have no involvement other than as a potential witness. 
DS Memory made an appeal to the public in the hope it might turn up. With the end of the year approaching, there did not seem to be much movement on the case until it was reported that a team of officers had arrived at one of Christopher Halliwell's former homes on Ashbury Avenue. Over the period of a week, 30 specially trained officers combed the property top to bottom, pulling up floorboards, removing wall panelling and searching loft space. Sniffer dogs were also brought in to uncover any minute traces of blood or remains that may have been left at the property. Residents on the avenue were also interviewed by officers in the hope they might recall any activity at the home that seemed out of the ordinary while Halliwell had lived there. Items of interest were removed along with the revelation that police had managed to track down who purchased the silver Volvo. Forensic testing on the evidence would take some time. Karen Edwards was interviewed at the end of 2014 as she readied herself to hand in the signatures that had been gathered for Downing Street. She hoped it would bring about change to the Police and Criminal Evidence Act and greater transparency in the police and justice system. She had spent a year and a half unrelentingly campaigning for change. I feel confident that next year is going to be a good one with some positive outcomes, she said. Karen spoke about the work she had done to Dominic Gilbert, a reporter for the Swindon Advertiser. She was glad it was going to be over. I am totally worn out, but it has all been for a good cause. I know it is not going to change anything with what happened with Becky or bring her back, but what the family has been through, or still going through, I would not wish on my worst enemy. The whole thing has been horrific. We need to get tougher on our justice system, and the time should fit the crime. The whole thing seems to be about the criminal and their rights rather than the rights of the victim and their families. And there are a lot of people who have suffered because of that. During the middle of January 2015, Karen Edwards handed her petition along with a collection of 42,000 signatures to Downing Street. Just over a month later, in the Justice for Becky Facebook group, Karen Edwards posted some news. Quote, Needless to say, we are unable to make any comment at this time other than to thank everyone who supported the petition and kept Becky's memory fresh in everyone's mind. Thank you all for your continued support and let's remain positive that the appropriate conclusion is reached after this week's breaking news. A 51-year-old man from Swindon had been arrested on suspicion of murder. While Detective Sean Memory would not reveal who the man was, he did confirm that someone had been taken into custody. He said, 
we can confirm that a 51-year-old man from Swindon was arrested today on suspicion of the murder of Becky Godden, also known as Becky Godden Edwards. He has been interviewed and inquiries continue. It is in the interests of justice for Becky that you do not speculate on the identity of the man arrested, as to do so could seriously jeopardise the judicial process. It was critical at the time that no one linked to the investigation reveal who the suspect was, as those officers working the case along with Becky's family were concerned it would harm the investigation. Aware of the potential damage that press coverage could do, very little information was revealed other than the age and sex of the suspect. After Karen Edwards' petition had been handed to Downing Street, Prime Minister at the time, David Cameron, referred it to the Home Secretary. It was then referred to the Policing Secretary, then the Association of the Chief of Police Officers, then they contacted the Wiltshire Police, who were the respective constabulary that dealt with the case. Wiltshire Police provided their feedback to the Policing Secretary. It was deemed no action was necessary and no changes to pace would be made. While the wheels of justice turn slowly, they grind exceedingly fine. A year after his arrest, a week before what would have been Becky Godden Edwards' 34th birthday, a suspect was charged with her murder at Bristol Crown Court. The now 52-year-old Christopher Halliwell spoke once to confirm his name, though said little via video link from Longlarton Prison. At his plea and case management hearing, attended by all of Becky's family, Halliwell appeared again via video link dressed in prison-issue clothing with the number 957 on the left breast. He denied murder. A trial was set for the start of autumn and the Crown expected 100 witnesses, including nine experts, to give evidence. In a highly unusual move by the defence, it also emerged that Halliwell would be defending himself. At the start of September 2016, jury selection was underway and a trial began soon after. Members of Becky and Sean's family watched on from the public gallery as dressed in a dark grey suit, white shirt and tie, Christopher Halliwell carried armfuls of legal papers preparing himself for the case at Bristol Crown Court. Judge Sir John Griffith Williams told the jury not to speculate as to why Halliwell had made that decision, saying, You will give the case the same careful consideration as if it had been advised by counsel. Christopher Halliwell was pleading not guilty to Becky Godden Edwards' murder. In his opening statement, 
Prosecutor Nicholas Hagen QC told the jury of six men and six women that Christopher Halliwell was currently serving a 25-year sentence for the murder of Sean O'Callaghan, and after his arrest for the crime in March 2011, he led police to a body. He then offered Detective Superintendent Fulcher a, quote, another one, before adding, I am a sick fucker, is it too late to get help? In his words, Halliwell said he would take officers to the exact spot where Becky Godden Edwards was buried. When talking to Fulcher, Halliwell then questioned his own actions, saying, I know you are not a psychiatrist, but what the fuck's wrong? Normal people don't go round killing each other. The prosecutor told the court that Halliwell then admitted to strangling Becky after the two had sex. Halliwell then buried her body in a shallow grave in Oxo Bottom Field at Eastleach in Gloucestershire. Nicholas Hagen QC addressed the jury and said, The defendant says he didn't murder Rebecca Godden. We say it cannot be clearer that he did. There isn't a shred of doubt, not even a slither. Karen Edwards cried as Becky's life was relayed to the court. Nicholas Hagen QC told jurors that during her teens Becky had turned to drugs and sex work, finding clients on the streets of Swindon. A witness Trevor Puffett said he had seen Halliwell arguing with Becky at the Victoria Inn in Eastleach during some point in the early 2000s. While in the beer garden of the Victoria Inn, he witnessed an argument between a male and a female. The male told the female she was a fucking slag before he poured a drink over her and became physical. Trevor Puffett stood up and challenged the man, who he now knew to be Halliwell, before he left. He also realised that he knew the woman. In a strange coincidence, he had been propositioned by Becky Gordon Edwards in 2000 at Swindon's Magic Roundabout. While Puffett thought no more of the interaction, it was when he saw the news coverage on Sean O'Callaghan's murder, recognising Halliwell and then Becky Godden Edwards as the couple who had been arguing in the pub. It was claimed by another witness, referred to in court as Miss X, that Halliwell regularly visited Becky and paid her for sex work. Known only to her as Chris, Halliwell's taxi was often spotted near the area where Becky worked. Miss X, who was also a sex worker, told the court that she had spoken to Becky and she confirmed that she had slept with Halliwell but was not aware if the pair had taken drugs together. The witness described Halliwell as being besotted, with Becky using him to drop her off to get drugs. Halliwell allegedly offered her money to stop working. When questioned as to how she knew it was Halliwell, Miss X confirmed that he paid her for sex twice. Quote, I would obviously recognise him because I've been up close and personal with him. Under cross-examination, Halliwell insisted to the court that he did not know the witness and when he stressed the importance of getting her facts straight, telling Miss X how serious the matter was that she tell the truth, she said, It definitely is you. Halliwell told the witness that what she was saying was a fairy tale, 
but Miss X turned to face the public gallery, announcing, I don't understand how he can sit there and say he doesn't know me. I'm a hundred million percent sure. A witness had placed Becky getting into a taxi, possibly Halliwell's, at some point in early January 2003. Rebecca Boast watched on as she saw her new friend get into a vehicle outside the Destiny and Desire nightclub in the early hours of the morning. The friends had only met a week earlier. On that night they smoked, chatted and danced. Rebecca Boast had asked the young woman her name and she said, Becky Edwards. When the club closed, the two went outside for a smoke. The witness saw a taxi pull up and Becky spoke to the driver. She was yelling. Becky briefly returned to say goodbye. She seemed upset. Rebecca Bose then saw Becky get into the passenger seat of the taxi and it drove away. It was postulated that the date was January 3rd. Shortly before 5.30 that morning, Halliwell contacted the RAC as his Volvo S80 had run out of petrol on the A361 close to Eastleach. While the RAC driver who assisted Halliwell could not recall the encounter, it was confirmed through company records. The prosecutor addressed jurors and said, You might want to ask yourself what Mr. Halliwell was doing on the A361 in the early hours of the morning on January 3rd, 2003. That same day, Halliwell visited the doctor as his right hand was swollen and it looked as though a bone in his finger was fractured. There were scratches to his face and the doctor noted that his patient appeared to be under some emotional distress. While Halliwell told his doctor that he had been assaulted by a customer who he had refused to pick up, in Halliwell's diary for the period of January 1st to the 4th, there is no record of him being in work. Jurors were told that Halliwell had been interviewed during February 2015 and he tried to offer detectives a plea deal. If I get charged with this and I'm found guilty, I'll get natural. Right. I mean, not being found 15 now, I've got 25 years to go. Yeah. So the chances are looking good as it is. Yeah. Um, if I wrap this up in the next few hours, any other charges against me that will be brought, there's a Bits of past, I think you probably know about various things in the past, there's car thefts, break-ins, bits and pieces, and um, some more serious. Will that, will clearing this up be enough to stop everything else? I don't want to keep coming back every couple of years on a different charge all the time. So what I'm saying is, if I can clear this up in the next few hours, will everything else be forgotten? Because at the end of the day, I'm going to get a sentence away. I'm just going to be like, <coughs> to turn the lock and say, let's you're done. Right, so what's saying is- after a number of interviews, with it looking likely that Halliwell might confess, after speaking with his solicitor, all he did was reply with no comment. Could the same events have played out had Stephen Fulcher taken Halliwell straight to Gable Cross Police Station? instead of questioning him at Barbary Castle 
on March 24, 2011. After the interviews, Halliwell spoke on the phone to his daughter and said to her, quote, I got it off my chest. I've offered them as far as I'm concerned the goose that lays the golden egg and they've let it fly away. In a written statement, Karen Edwards described her daughter as a happy little soul but couldn't come to terms with the fact that Becky had run away from home, used drugs and made her living as a sex worker. Karen wrote that she never mentally accepted it. After Becky disappeared, Karen made attempts to track down her daughter, reporting it to police, but she was still considered a missing person. Karen wrote, We talked about her as though she would turn up one day. I never thought she wouldn't be coming back. Then we heard about the remains at Eastleach on the news. I feared the worst, but I never thought deep down that it was Becky. It seems to me that Becky went off the rails at a time of her life that was stable. I asked myself where it all went wrong. A prison worker who dealt with inmates that had been convicted of violent sexual offences spoke with Halliwell on a number of occasions at HMP Long Larton following his sentencing. The witness told the court that Halliwell was fully aware of the locations where Sean's handbag and phone had been discarded, along with the knife used in the murder. He said they had been thrown in water, but did not confirm where. Halliwell claimed Sean's handbag was buried somewhere in Bishopstone, but again he did not provide a specific location. After the crime, he told the witness that he drove around for one and a half hours, unsure if he should take Sean's body to the hospital, go to the police, or bury it. Halliwell was not able to conceal Sean's body properly, as at the time someone with a quad bike disturbed him. Testimony was provided by several expert witnesses that had been analysing the burial site and Becky's remains. Some of the details were difficult to hear, even for the most hardened professionals. Professor John Hunter, a forensic archaeologist, explained that the skeleton had been buried in a shallow grave around 40 centimetres from the surface of the earth, with the possibility that the makeshift grave in Eastleach was revisited. While teeth were found in the chest cavity, the arms, skull and feet were missing. He said it was unlikely that they had been removed before burial as there was no sign of trauma. It wouldn't be due to scavenging by animals as only some of the bones were missing and there was no evidence of ploughing. But he said with the body parts missing, it would suggest that some remains had been moved, as the majority of the skeleton had been left in an anatomical position. Forensic officers had retrieved a spade from Halliwell's former home on Ashbury Avenue, and dirt recovered from the piece of gardening equipment was matched to both of the properties he had lived at in the avenue, the field in Eastleach, and the exact spot where Becky Gordon Edwards was found. The field that Halliwell had chosen was a Neolithic settlement and had been left unused for an extended period, making identification of the soil far easier as it contained unique characteristics. 
Massachusetts, Prosecutor Nicholas Hagen QC set the scene, explaining the events that led to the arrest of Christopher Halliwell. He called the next witness to the stand, former Detective Superintendent Stephen Fulcher. Fulcher explained that he had been in Somalia working as a security consultant. He recalled the conversations he had with Halliwell. A driver, Detective Sergeant Edward Strange, was with them, along with police civilian Deborah Peach, who took notes of the conversation. Halliwell took them to the area where Sharno Callahan's body was found on the Lambourne Downs in South Oxfordshire. During the early morning hours of March 19, 2011, Halliwell claimed he thought that Sharno Callahan was a sex worker when he picked her up, but later realised his mistake. Was it possible that Halliwell had targeted other sex workers who were missing? During their conversation, Halliwell asked if it was too late to get help. Fulcher replied, It's gone beyond that, Chris. Halliwell then offered Fulcher, quote, another one. Fulcher inquired when it occurred and was told between 2003 to 2005. Asking if there are any more, he was told by Halliwell, isn't that enough? They were then driven to a ploughed field where Halliwell pointed out the area where he had buried Becky's body. From the stand, Fulcher spoke about the conversation he had with Halliwell regarding Becky's death, saying, He told me he had had sex with her, and he had killed her by strangling her. He said he had left the body in bushes by the wall by the edge of the field. He had returned the following night and spent the night digging a five-foot-deep grave and burying the body. He told me that he had visited the site about three years ago. During cross-examination, Christopher Halliwell questioned Fulcher about the depth of the grave, insisting that Fulcher had got his facts wrong. Halliwell said, It wasn't five feet deep, was it? No, it wasn't, but that's what you told me at the time, Fulcher replied. You know from your inquiries that I spent most of my working life as a ground worker or building. So in that capacity, I know the difference between a five-foot hole and a six-inch hole. Doesn't it stand out? Fulcher said, It does stand out. What I inferred from that, Christopher. Chris, Halliwell interrupted, is that Becky is one of your victims, as is Sean, and you got confused about the nature of this deposition. You described very clearly a five-foot hole. That led me to conclude that there were other victims. Halliwell replied, Okay, if you say so. Or does it suggest that maybe I really didn't know? By the end of this process, you will know the truth. You won't like it, but you will know the truth. It is going to leave a hell of a lot more questions unanswered. If I am an experienced ground worker, which I used to be, I would know where I have dug a hole. I would know how deep it was. The first time I was in that field was with you. Oh, and by the way, it was a pleasure ruining your career, you corrupt bastard. Halliwell seemed to revel in his position, demanding the court's attention. It had also been postulated that perhaps as Halliwell had been confused about the depth of the grave, he might have got confused with another burial site.
One of the Crown's witnesses was Halliwell's former partner, Heather Widowson. She was terrified. In spite of forcing herself to come to court in a highly distressed state, Halliwell barely questioned Heather at all. When the prosecutor was addressing the jury or questioning witnesses, Halliwell almost seemed to act as a distraction, staring at Becky's family members in the public gallery or playing with his glasses. Anything to divert attention away from anyone that was not him. During the second week of the trial, Halliwell began his defence. He insisted that he had only known the location of Becky Godden Edwards' remains as two drug dealers he had been transporting during the early 2000s had buried her there. He claimed he was telling the truth, saying, I have no reason to lie, getting life anyway and I have no real prospect of getting out and I deserve every day anyway. What happened between me and Sean, my actions were brutal. What I put Sean's family through was inhumane. Whether I get out or not is irrelevant. Whether you, the jury, find me guilty or not doesn't matter. I come here to tell the truth. Halliwell said he never asked questions when transporting the drug dealers throughout Swindon, as they paid him three to four times his usual fare, choosing instead to turn a blind eye. The men asked him if they knew of anywhere they could get rid of something. They were carrying a large sports bag, which they placed in the boot of his taxi. When they arrived at the field in Eastleach, at the site where Becky's body would be found years later, Halliwell left briefly on foot for an hour. He said that when he returned and drove the two men back to Swindon, he was paid £600 to £700 and never saw the men again. It may be morally wrong, he said, but it wasn't my place to judge someone. When Halliwell was asked to identify the two men, he refused, saying that he wouldn't want to put the people he cared for in harm's way. Nicholas Hagen QC said the only reason why Halliwell was making up excuses and pleading not guilty is that he knew he would never get released if he just admitted that he killed Becky. Halliwell replied, The chances of me getting out are a bit like looking for a tea light on the moon. It would be very easy to just come to court, get a well-paid QC just to give an account. I plead guilty, I go back to prison. Why would I come here and put everybody through this? Why? This is my worst nightmare. I am normally a quiet, reserved person. Hagen quickly responded, Are you? Normally when you are not murdering young women. That wasn't your quiet persona, was it? Halliwell continued to profess his innocence, claiming that the prosecution's witness, Miss X, was hardly reliable, saying, quote, An ex-drug addict who sold herself for sex. Halliwell said that she was not his type, certainly not that thing, as he pointed to the witness. The prosecutor interjected, Is your type size 8 or size 10? Pretty young woman out and about on the streets of Swindon, about five foot one or five foot two? Hagen went on to say, It's all a complete fabrication, a story of drug dealers and the sports bag. You are sitting in your cell thinking, how can I get out of this? And you pick your way through the prosecution's case and try to find a way around every piece of evidence against you. 
the evidence against you is overwhelming. Continuing in his efforts to assert that he was innocent of the charge of murder, Halliwell went on to reveal why he had said he killed Becky Godden Edwards. The father of three claimed that former Detective Fulcher had threatened one of his daughters and he wanted to get the officer in trouble by giving him a false account of what had happened. He was asked the specifics of the conversation. What did Fulcher actually say? But Halliwell refused to divulge the detail, stating... I wouldn't embarrass one of my girls. Halliwell admitted that he loathed the detective and spoke about the confessions he gave. Quote, it wasn't a true account, it was a lie. If I had been responsible, it would have been a confession. The more I lied to him, the more I could see that he wasn't seeing me as a suspect. He was seeing me as a promotion, adulation, another plastic trophy in his cabinet. Halliwell also admitted that he only confessed to Sean O'Callaghan's murder once he knew that Fulcher could potentially lose his job. Although it was never revealed what Fulcher had said to threaten Halliwell's children, if anything at all, the defendant used this reason to try and destroy the career of the man who put him behind bars. On the subject of Fulcher, Halliwell said, As twisted as it is what I did to Sean, I was going to do everything I could to destroy his career, basically get revenge for what he said at Barbary Castle about my kids. As the trial reached its conclusion, Christopher Halliwell gave his closing statement. He addressed the testimony given by both Miss X and another defendant Miss Y a sex worker who also took drugs with Becky and identified Halliwell as someone she had spent time with before her death. Halliwell said, quote, Let's look at the so-called evidence the prosecution have. Two former drug addicts who contradict themselves repeatedly in their statements. An RAC mechanic who remembers nothing. Rebecca Boast, who was such a good friend of Rebecca Godden's she didn't report it for three years and nine months. She didn't see the taxi driver's face. Trevor Puffett, who stood in the witness box and said in a very vague manner that it was me. The forensic evidence was so poorly presented to the forensic lab, so poorly examined, it is not worth mentioning. It is rubbish. The judge, Sir John Griffith Williams, provided a summing up. He offered words of advice to the jury, saying, Put out of your mind any thoughts of hostility or sympathy, whichever way they lie. All the answers you need can be found in the evidence. The judge in front of whom I appeared many years ago directed juries that if they keep their feet on the ground, their heads would not be in the clouds. After only a few hours of deliberations, the jury reached a decision. It was unanimous. When the jury foreman read out the verdict, a smile spread across the face of Christopher Halliwell and he began to laugh. Becky Godden Edwards' family wept and hugged each other. 
As he was led away, Halliwell turned to face them, and another smile spread across his face as he was marched to his cell. Christopher John Halliwell was found guilty. After telling the court he was considering either a whole life order or substantial minimum term, the judge said, I've read the mitigation of Mr Latham QC who acted for Mr Halliwell and the sentencing remarks of Mrs Justice Cox. They merely reinforce in me the view that he is a liar, whose words should be taken in some instances with a pinch of salt. In an earlier hearing, legal arguments were heard with the judge Sir John Griffith Williams, allowing the submission of Halliwell's confession, along with permitting the jury to be told about Sean O'Callaghan's murder. Prosecutor Nicholas Hagen QC had argued it was relevant due to the similarities between Sean O'Callaghan and Becky Godden Edwards' murders. Halliwell had argued that his confession should not be made available to use as evidence, as it breached the Pace Act. The judge had agreed that while Fulcher's actions had been a, quote, flagrant disregard for regulations, the detective had not acted in bad faith. Also, as Halliwell had pleaded guilty, the judge ruled that the protection of the regulations were no longer relevant and it would offend good sense to exclude it. Other evidence which the jury did not hear would be released after the trial. Ernest Springer was a fellow inmate with Halliwell at HMP Dartmoor during the mid-80s after he had been convicted of burglary. Springer told authorities that Halliwell spoke about strangling a girl while raping her. He was verbally aggressive while discussing females and at one point spoke about the number of women he would need to kill in order to be classified as a serial killer. There were also searches on his PC which revealed an interest in paedophilia and bestiality. He had a preference for bondage and often visited websites which provided instructions on how to tie knots. Along with searches for violent sex, predominantly women being choked. This seemed to corroborate the information provided by Ernest Springer. Outside Bristol Crown Court, Becky's mother spoke with the media. We have waited over five years for this momentous day. It has been an extremely painful journey, but today we've received the justice that has felt like an eternity coming for our beautiful little girl, Becky. We have all sat and listened to heartbreaking evidence day after day to enable the jury to come to their decision. My message to any family out there who have waited so long for justice, as we have, is to never give up hope. Becky's father, John, said that his daughter's life was taken away too early. She will always live in our memories, he said. Our time has come to put Becky to rest and she can now be at peace. We as a family have had some very dark days and it has been very difficult for us to listen to the evidence in court and thankfully we now have some closure. We would like to thank the investigating team for all they have done and would like you all to remember Becky as she was to us, our little girl.
Stephen Fulcher also provided a statement. I am very pleased that Karen Edwards has finally seen justice done for her beautiful daughter Becky, who was brutally murdered by Christopher Halliwell. She has fought a very dignified battle for the past five and a half years to bring Halliwell to court, and she should not have had to. I hope she finds some comfort in this verdict. I thank Karen for her resilience and determination to obtain justice for her beloved daughter. Halliwell is an evil and depraved violator of women. I did all I could to find an abducted girl, Shano Callahan, in an effort to save her life, the first duty of a police officer. I also recovered a second victim of Halliwell's murder, Becky, returning her to her loved ones after eight years of misery. I caught a serial killer, preventing any further girls being murdered. Sean O'Callaghan's mother Elaine spoke with the press and said the only closure she would get on the matter was if Sean was back with her. She spoke of how she was able to watch Halliwell in court as he quote, means nothing to me, basically nothing. This man, this person, he has taken and already done the worst he can do to Sean our families and anyone who knew her. Certain that there were other victims that have yet to be found, Elaine said, I don't think a man starts killing at the age he killed Becky. That's my own personal take, and I don't think he'd have gone the length of time between Becky and Sean without needing his fix. Detective Superintendent Sean Memory, who led the investigation after Fulcher, said, I'm really open-minded. There may be others. There is an eight-year gap between Becky and Sean. I would appeal to Christopher Halliwell, actually, if he wants to speak. I'm willing to speak with him. Uh, I'm absolutely clear uh, he's got just uh, reward today for all of his endeavours in killing women. Uh, I'm also very, very clear uh, there must be other victims out there, whether they are sexual uh, offences or other women that he's taken. The offending behaviour for killing Becky was cold, it was calculated, as uh, the judge said. I cannot believe that that was his first offence. Less than a week after he was convicted, Christopher Halliwell was sentenced to a whole life term. Speaking to the possibility that one day Becky Godden Edwards might have broken free from her addiction, Judge Sir John Griffith Williams told Halliwell, he deprived her of a potentially fulfilling life. The judge addressed Becky's family and said, I hope you feel that justice has been done. I pay tribute to you all. After being told that he would never see the outside world and die in prison, Halliwell dryly said, Thank you, as he was led back to his cell. Soon after the verdict, Stephen Fulcher was interviewed on BBC Radio 4. He said he was certain other victims had yet to be found. Halliwell had apparently said in a phone conversation, the police want to interview me about eight murders. Fulcher was frustrated that there had not been more progress made by the Wiltshire police to investigate the links Halliwell had with other women. My issue was no investigation has occurred, he said. 
We were made aware of Claudia Lawrence. We were made particularly aware of Linda Rizal. She had a relationship, a direct relationship with Halliwell. We know that Halliwell has killed women, has a propensity for killing women, and he had a direct relationship with Linda Rizal. Whether or not he's responsible for those murders isn't the issue. The issue is why was no investigation conducted into those issues. Linda Rizal's husband was convicted of her murder in 2003, but protests his innocence. Her body has never been found. Claudia Lawrence went missing in 2009, and although arrests have been made, no one has been charged with her murder. Fulcher was asked on the radio show if he felt he had been hung out to dry, and responded bluntly, I have, obviously. Since leaving Wiltshire Police, he had struggled to find any work in another constabulary within the UK. In a later interview, Fulcher told the Daily Mail, No one wants to go back to the old days where the police sometimes ran roughshod over the rules, but the pendulum has swung way too far in favour of the criminal. There is an obsession with the procedure at the expense of the bigger picture. If I had followed procedure, then Sean and Becky's bodies may never have been found. Stephen Fulcher considered there should be a public inquiry into how Wiltshire police handled the case, and Karen Edwards, Becky's mother, also agreed. In response, the Chief Constable of Wiltshire Police at the time, Mike Veal, told BBC Radio 4 that he was open-minded and almost certain there were further victims, but said no evidence could be substantiated linking Halliwell to any other murders in the country. With Fulcher now speaking to more media outlets about the case, he was interviewed by the Sunday People. He mentioned that when Halliwell was arrested, there were an extensive collection of pencil drawings of rural landscapes amongst his possessions. Fulcher believed Halliwell was creating trophies of his crimes through his drawings. At the time, Fulcher hoped if he could find those places, he could find more victims. Not something that can be taught how you interact with a serial killer and how you get them in their moment, their one moment of clarity in their entire life, to confess. Um, It's a matter of a momentary bond that's formed between two people uh, that is broken by choice of the wrong word. One wrong word and he would no longer feel inclined to confess. Fulcher continued to berate Wiltshire police for their handling of the investigation into Halliwell's other victims, describing it as a, quote, shambles. Following on from Halliwell's sentencing, six weeks later, correspondence which had been written from Long Larton Prison to a former neighbour on Ashbury Avenue had found its way into the hands of the Sunday Mirror. While it was not divulged how the letters had come to end up in the hands of the newspaper, it was revealed that Halliwell did not have the energy to appeal his life term. He also referenced why he smiled and laughed as he left the court. The letter read in part, quote, Short of the deceased walking into court and sitting on the judge's lap, I was going to be found guilty whatever happened. I went into court to tell it like it was, and it was important to me that whatever I had to say came from me, not a lawyer. 
and yes, I laughed at a guilty verdict. I found it ironic that I was found guilty of killing someone I've never met. Even after his conviction, Halliwell continued to protest his innocence, claiming he was only guilty of Sharno Callahan's murder. That did not stop a team of forensic officers and detectives arriving at a former property of his in Broad Green, five minutes north of the Suju nightclub, during February 2017. Police refused to provide any reason for why they were searching the home, and forensic officers were spotted digging up soil in the back garden, along with searching through alleyways and the gardens of neighbouring properties. Black and white tents had been erected, and a part of the street was closed down, with police guards at the end of each cordon. Wheelie bins were removed from the property, full of both concrete and soil. Halliwell had lived at the address at some point from 1997 to 2001, if public records are to be believed. A local shopkeeper described Halliwell as quiet and normal, and that he lived at that address with his ex-wife Lisa. Becky Godden Edwards' father spoke about the search. Yeah, there's a possibility I think there could be more victims, and I, and I, and I really do. It should have been done six years ago at the beginning of this case. And, it, you know, it, it's just more trauma for us. It just feels like Becky's been murdered again. During the two-week-long search, police gave little information away refusing to even comment on the link between the properties and its previous owner who was now in prison, other than say that the current residents were not suspects in any crime. Detective Chief Inspector Jeremy Carter, who was heading up the search, said, I would like to make it clear that those living at the addresses have no involvement in the investigation, and we thank them for their understanding and patience. Following on from the investigation by the IPCC into Stephen Fulcher's actions, inspired in part by John Goddenbeck's father, a further complaint was submitted by Karen Edwards regarding the length of time it took to ultimately bring the case to trial after the first attempt failed. Karen was confident that more evidence existed, but police had not utilised it quickly enough as all the evidence used was gathered much earlier. She was also upset as police had still failed to return the last of Becky's remains. In a statement provided by Wiltshire Police, a spokesperson explained that the reason for the delay was that they did not want to make any further mistakes. They lay the blame for their caution squarely at the feet of Stephen Fulcher. Quote, The investigation team were absolutely dedicated to ensuring this case was not thrown out of court due to previous breaches in legislation by former Detective Superintendent Steve Fulcher at the time of the arrest of Christopher Halliwell in March 2011. The same month that Karen Edwards submitted her complaint to the IPCC, Stephen Fulcher would go on to release a book he had written titled Catching a Serial Killer, My Hunt for Murderer Christopher Halliwell. 
he raised serious doubts about the time the investigation into Becky Godden Edwards' murder took, writing, Everything should have been done by others much earlier. The inaction, in my view, was a gross neglect of duty. Also in the book, Fulcher included his frustrations that Wiltshire police had not done enough to link Halliwell to other cases, due to the fact that a large amount of clothing was found around the banks of a Ramsbury pond. Fulcher described the items of clothing, some of which belonged to Sharno Callahan and Becky Godden Edwards, as a trophy store, and in a press interview said, You don't have to be a detective, a policeman, or even have a double-digit IQ to know there's a potential line of investigation there. It was likely Halliwell had removed his victim's clothing, as he was aware of fibre transfer and did not want to be connected to their deaths. Fulcher claimed the date of March 19th was significant, as Halliwell had parted ways with a former girlfriend during the 1980s on that date. March 19th was the same date that Sean O'Callaghan was abducted and murdered in 2011, and the day after Claudia Lawrence was last heard from. There was also claims that Halliwell had used the services of Sally Ann John, a sex worker who disappeared in September 1995. Fulcher wrote, A police investigation that fails to scrutinise every possible clue is one that fails families. It fails victims. Finally, he also voiced his frustrations with the way in which he was treated by Wiltshire police and one of the charges brought against him that was subsequently dropped. He insisted that his contact with the media during the investigation into the death of Sean O'Callaghan was sanctioned by the Gold Group and his supervisors at Wiltshire Police. A Gold Group policy book, as it was referred to, contained detailed information about how it was agreed the police would deal with the press and included verbatim records of the statements issued. Wiltshire Police had at first tried to stop the book being presented during Fulcher's hearing in January 2014 under public immunity principles, but then said it was missing, possibly stolen. A few months after Fulcher released his book, the Gold Group policy book reappeared, though strangely the IPCC's original report on their findings against Fulcher had been removed from their website. The IPCC responded regarding the discovery, quote, There was no indication that the information received could have any potential impact on the previous independent investigation or subsequent proceedings. Given the time elapsed since the publication of the report in 2013 and subsequent events including misconduct and criminal proceedings, we have decided that it is no longer necessary or appropriate for the report to continue to be published in full on our website. So where are we now? Christopher Halliwell remains behind bars for the murders of Sean O'Callaghan and Becky Godden Edwards and will never be released. While nearly every detective working the case has said that Halliwell is likely to have further victims, there is, at the time of this recording, no evidence that can be used in a court of law 
that proves he was involved in any other murders. Elaine Sharno Callahan's mother became involved in peer support, helping the families whose loved ones had been murdered. She volunteered for a national support programme, a joint venture between Child Bereavement UK and the Victim Support National Homicide Service, offered to those people who require counselling following the loss of a loved one and is staffed by those people who have also been bereaved by murder. She told reporter Tanya Yilmaz to be part of a dedicated team of people who have suffered and continue to live with the devastating loss of loved ones and now want to give up some of their time to help others is both inspiring and rewarding. In May 2018, Charlie Edwards, Becky's stepfather, passed away aged 72. Karen would say of her husband, He was my rock, and now my rock's no longer there. She also told the press how supportive Charlie was when they found out Becky had been killed. He was incredible. There wasn't one day at that court when he wasn't there. A funeral was held in Old Town and Charlie Edwards was buried alongside Becky's remains. Karen Edwards would go on to write a book titled a killer's confession and a mother's fight for the truth. It focuses on Becky's life, the years she was missing, and Karen's tireless campaign for justice. Wiltshire police deem Stephen Fulcher's actions of disregarding the Police and Criminal Evidence Act worthy of a gross misconduct ruling. However, most of the victim's families believed he did the right thing, even if it meant breaching protocol. Elaine Shan's mother said, Morally, I don't think there's any question over Steve doing what I think any family member would want a police officer to do for them and their family. But at the same time, I could also understand the legal ramifications of it as well. Her son and Shan's brother Liam wanted there to be changes made to pace. Speaking to ITV before his death, Charlie Edwards had also commented, Fulcher crossed the line, which he shouldn't have done, but I feel the line shouldn't be there. His widow and Becky's mother Karen has always fought Fulcher's corner. Fulcher did not come out of the case entirely unscathed. He had to take a leave of absence from work, started taking antidepressants and sleeping pills, and considered suicide. It left him in a very dark place, which in turn put an incredible strain on his family. He would remark in numerous interviews that the decision he took on March 24, 2011, left him, in his words, unemployable in the UK. But he believes his actions were just, and if he hadn't taken the measures he did, quote, Christopher Halliwell would be walking the streets now. This all begs the question, how far should police go in the search for the truth?
thank you for listening. And special thanks to our Patreon supporters. For more information, please see our show notes or visit theywalkamonguspodcast.com. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.